All right, welcome back to another episode of It's a Social Thing with your host, Venus Ranieri. Today on the podcast, we have John. John, thank you so much for being with us. Why don't you tell everyone listening a little bit about you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am John Chang. Uh, currently, I am a product marketer at IBM Watson. Um, get to make positioning and messaging for awesome AI stuff. And then in my spare time, I teach marketing at New York University in their undergrad program. Um, really, really love doing that kind of stuff. And something that might come up during this conversation is that I was previously marketing director at Kickstarter. Woo, all right, perfect. <laughs> just, a, just a casual intro, nothing too amazing on that resume over there, you know? Thanks. So, <laughs> uh, So why don't we tell the listeners three fun facts about yourself? Yes, well, okay, so um, first one is I'm obsessed with my dog. Uh, she has an Instagram account at Lucy and the Ball, if you're curious. And there was a period of time where I was uh, between two jobs. I like decided to take a little bit of a break. And turns out I'm very bad at not working. So I fully invested myself in her Instagram account. She ended up getting an offer to uh, like an influencer offer with an agency. So I have a dog who is no longer an influencer, but was at some point. Oh my God. The second one, uh, my undergraduate degree is existential philosophy. And yeah, the third one is my Chinese name means lucky. So uh, my other name is lucky. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love another uh, crazy pet parent that needed Instagram for their, their pet. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> We're all a little crazy. It's all good. though. <laughs> um, and I'll definitely send uh, attach a link to this episode description if you want to follow. <laughs> Lucy, yes, please. Yeah. So that way we can get her some more followers because, you know. <laughs> That's what that's what having a pet is all about these days. Yeah, exactly. Why else would you have a pet? Exactly. If I can't make money off of her, <laughs> why not? Um, yeah, so those are super awesome and very interesting fun facts. I'm going to call you lucky from now on. Please um, do. I'm fine with that. Perfect. <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit more about your background. So obviously, you've been in the social realm for a few years now, uh, working at some pretty prestigious companies. Uh, working your way up the ladder in case that no one listening has heard of you before. Uh, John is an amazing marketer. I heard him speak at uh, Social Media Week in New York City, and it blew my mind. So I had to have him on the podcast. Ooh. But <laughs> also, if you want to take any of John's courses, we'll also link those in the episode description as well. Some awesome. little plug. I love this. Uh, I mean, I would totally do this every day if you just flatter me. <laughs> <laughs> you're great too i love this <laughs> perfect all right so what is the some things that you really love and hate about social media right now uh oh man i mean uh, overall if we're just defining social media by um users being able to connect with one another because there's like such a wide definition moment and like i consider youtube a social media channel but they do not themselves so there's like gray areas here and there but inherently i do like the connectiveness of um, the capabilities so like how facebook groups have allowed people to organize for better or for worse but to organize yeah um like even like in protests that i've been part of and things like that um, but then using Facebook as an example as well, the things that I dislike about it have been like the idea of the bubble feed and reinforcing, yeah, and it's like reinforcing getting, getting deeper into um, our specific ideologies without being able to expand further. So yeah. that's kind of been the trap. It's, um, the, there's the connectiveness, but the 
while even though I'm being connected to so many people, it's still just like diving further and further and it's almost narrowing my, narrowing my worldview. I think that's so interesting because, you know, like obviously social media was created to connect people around the world with different viewpoints, but the way that we really use it is just by finding people that are really similar to who you are. Like one of the things I like to practice on my own social channels is following people that look nothing like me and have like different (laughs) viewpoints than I do. Like I follow Ivanka Trump on Instagram because I'm like, gotta know I can't follow her dad because too much <laughs> I feel like he's yelling at me anytime I see a Instagram post but like I want to know what's going on and I want to see that different side of things so that way we can kind of like come together and you know when you when you look at people I think that we all get caught up in the idea that we're so different like you know social media is all about the I and the id kind of just putting yeah. out who you are and not so much like taking a moment to look and appreciate everyone's differences and like finding that common ground. Like that's how I like to use social. <laughs> Not everyone does that. Oh, well, you know, I'm just, just to um, uh, like agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, like I, I, I've made friends on Twitter and it's like by conversing with people and stuff like that. So, I mean, there, it, it still connects people, which is something that I do love. And there is a value to um, finding people who are similar to yourselves. And I think that the thing that I just like, just to be a little more specific about it, is that it's um, it it's sold to us. I mean, it's not like literally sold to us, but it, like the, the idea for us is that it's purely connective and we're expanding our worldview. Whereas like the expectation the, the, the expectation is slightly off. And I think that's where we get into like um, fake news and stuff like that because it, it seems more credible because of the way that we have positioned social media in our lives. Yeah. And obviously also because of the fact that there's never been like a governing body for it. Like this is the first time in history that you've been able to connect with like 3 billion people or I think it's like 5 billion people online now. Like that is unheard of in history. And I think that we just kind of not we kind of dropped the ball, you know, like we weren't prepared. We didn't see this coming, even though there were so many (laughs) warning signs. And now obviously like Mark Zuckerberg is crying in a corner somewhere in his hoodie because he's like, I ruined America. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I go back and forth on that, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it, it, social media has evolved so quickly. So, so, so quickly. So, um, there's like, and then, I mean, one of the things we, I didn't bring up, but it's like, then you also have social media based on the features too. Um, like, and what made me think of that is like the regulations, like live video. It's like what should and should not be allowed to be live video. Um, but I, and I, I do find a lot of great entertainment value out of it. And I think that's like why I like consider myself a little addicted to it. Um, because every spare moment I have, like I log into the platform and I try to like, I want to be entertained. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely am addicted to social media. <laughs> yes. It's like a side effect of our jobs, uh, being in marketing. You kind of have to be plugged in almost all the time because everything happens so fast. Like if you take a weekend off, there's a new trend and you're like, what is this? <laughs> well, exactly. Uh, I mean, I always joke that like when I'm trying to hire a social media manager, I'm looking for someone with like a uh, like legit addiction to social media. And because like the business opportunities are a little are like sometimes a little serendipitous in addition to like your editorial calendar and stuff. Um, and that's the, that's like the stuff that you really shouldn't miss out on. And that and then being able to, to respond to people in comments, host an AMA. Those are things that things that are very nuanced and are harder to learn unless you kind of grew up with it or you're like you you embody always on to use your term 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. I remember my first AMA and I was like, this is happening so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, those are great points that you've made. And so, you know, when we think about using social media from a professional standpoint, there's a lot of a different, there's a whole different world there for people that don't work in social. And for me, particularly like going back to the always on, it is completely like a almost a 24 seven job where when I'm not doing anything for social, I'm thinking about social. How about you? What are your, what have you found just being in that space? Well, I do think about like thematic content and the frequency that I post in different places here and there. Um, So like one of the things on a personal level, like I try not to have more than three Instagram stories up at a time because it's just like, you can post as many as you want, fine, do whatever you want. And, in, and like, at the end of the day, it totally depends on what your audience actually wants. But some days, like, I'll make content, um, like, take pictures of my dog and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what, that would be like a fourth or a fifth post. And that's not something I want to do today. So I have a lot of my, like, Instagram stories and things like that planned out for weeks and weeks. Yeah, for when I do, yeah. <laughs> well, when I do it professionally, it's like even further out because there are thematic hashtags and thematic content that we're building up to um, post. So it's like, like in the olden days, and it's hilarious how it's the olden days with like Throwback Thursday. That's something that I was planning ahead for months and months and months. For my dog's account, I already have like 10 weeks of tongue out Tuesday posts for her that like I know I'm going to post and I'm like curating them. Um, I have like a drive folder and everything. So yeah, I mean, I think about it every time that I create content. And then oftentimes outside as well, but at least every time that I create it, because I think about like how it can be repurposed and how it can be used. Yeah, I I think that for people within the social realm realm that like kind of use it on a business level, we kind of ruin the experience for ourselves. Like I found myself that like, I can't just take a picture of my rabbit and be happy. Like I have (laughs) to be like, we need 150 and I need this light to look exactly this way. She yes. has to be this percentage of the photo. Otherwise, people aren't going to like it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I'm like, anytime I go anywhere, I'm like, oh, we should have brought her. It, it kind of takes over your life without you even really knowing uh, before it, ha- it just happens. And then it's too late to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like when, when I ask someone to take like a group picture, like a stranger to take a group picture, I know if they get it or not, whether or not they take both a landscape and like a vertical version. Yeah. Uh, or, or people don't like have get on the ground. For it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. They're like, I got your story and I got your like newsfeed post. Like, like perfect. Yeah, or exactly. I get like a boomerang. I'm like, I love you. Um, yeah. Another level. I'm like, do, do I tip this person? Like, you did a great job. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I think that those are all things that people outside of our profession never really have to think about. And like, yeah. for me, it, it's really affected the way that I behave on my own social channels. Because one, I, Basically, by the time I'm done working and managing my <laughs> rabbit's Instagram, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to post anything. I haven't posted a picture on my own personal account in like months. And that yeah. is sad because people will look and they'll see I'm a social media manager. It's clearly on my profile and people will judge me that way. And sometimes I shame. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, how do you handle that kind of creating this image of yourself? Uh, and how true do you stay and how open are you with who you are and sharing that with your audience? It depends on the channel, it depends on the audience, and it depends on the relationships in like professional life. But like one of the things I've tried to cultivate over the last like maybe three years now is a personal brand overall. Um, so I mean, Instagram is not a good example for like my personal brand. That's like the one channel where like I really just post whatever I want. 
And, um, and of course I'll do like some professional he things here and there. But I mean, I have like my own voice and tone guide and like who I think I want to be for my, t for Twitter and for LinkedIn and stuff like that. So as like, it, it is really interesting to think about yourself in multiple different ways because who I am on Twitter is different than who I am on LinkedIn. And that's also different than who I am on Instagram and very, very different than um, how I would communicate as if I were a brand, uh, like if I, as if I were full, um, like communicating for a brand. So it's a lot of thought, <laughs> um, but the hardest part was like the upstart and just figuring out like um, how I want to be perceived Originally, like my roles were just no swearing, no politically inflammatory um, comments, no um, like nudity or like racial, like racist comments and stuff like that. And then it slowly evolved where it's like, um, I'll post about, I like post about politics now and like I'll like swear every now and then. And it's just like, I was so hesitant to do these things. And I thought that was, and I don't think it's a bad place to start, but I didn't really realize um, what the characteristics were that I should um, like use to embody like who I want to be. And it's been a kind of a long test for like what kind of content to put out too. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like inspirational stuff usually works better than educational stuff, but, and that's, but I started out with all the educational stuff. So it's, it's been really interesting to like expand out of my original comfort zone. Yeah, I've been having a great time following along all of your adventures across your channels. Yeah, thank you. Uh, personally, I love your taco <laughs> tour that you did while you were in California. I was like, oh, oh those look like good tacos. I had 16 tacos that day. <laughs> it was actually too much. A taco coma, if, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word. Yeah. For sure, for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think that, you know, we're dovetailing nicely into the process that like true influence, not that we're not true influencers, because everybody's an influencer in some way and capacity on social media these days. But those, you know, larger influencers on social, like, they kind of do the same things that we do in our in our profession. And they are basically brands. Uh, speaking from a company standpoint, like, People, they hire people to kind of manage their social accounts to speak as them, which is a side that a lot of people probably don't realize happens for like a lot of celebrities. Uh, I'm sure some of them do their own social, but not everybody does. So, you know, if we were, we're talking about who they are, uh, when, when we first saw the rise of influencers, I believe it was like, you know, kind of around the time that inf uh, Instagram launched a few years back, I think it was like, seven or eight years now that makes me feel really old uh <laughs> but you know like do you remember the first influencer that you followed on instagram oh on instagram i yeah. mean i actually didn't really follow influencers intentionally until like real recently really um, like in celebrities and stuff like that like and, and again like instagram is like almost my clean personal not clean like as in like clean content it's just like that is where like I was like I am not putting anything else in here it's going to be like family and friends nice. I mean it's, that's not necessarily a good idea it's just like, <laughs> a while but I was reading like a lot of blogs and stuff like that so I mean I don't even know if he's on Instagram now but um the first person that I found influential in my life was Guy Kawasaki mm. um 
And it's kind of a, like a lame one, almost, sorry, guy. But like in, in the grand scheme of like all the celebrities out there, like he was the first person that I like really um, found influential and I watched all of his YouTube videos and like all that kind of stuff too. Like followed him on Twitter, read his blog. So to me, like influences actually kind of started out in the blogosphere and then um, a separate type almost like expanded into, into Instagram. Yeah. I think Instagram influencer is much harder because like I don't have necessarily a visual identity. I just have like a voice and tone identity. So, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because obviously there's there's influencers across all different platforms. And in the past, like it used to be that people started out on as a blog and then, you know, you used your social channels to help promote your blog. And now a yes. lot of people are stepping away from the blog. Yeah. And moving more towards just having their social accounts. And, you know, before it was like people would, companies would pay these influencers for a post on their blog. And now it's a post for, they're paying them for tweets. They're paying them for a LinkedIn article. They're paying them for an Instagram photo or video on YouTube. And the prices have just skyrocketed. Yeah, I know that that's- $50,000 for one tweet from Kim Kardashian. Which is insane. Insane. Yeah. Uh, I wish someone would pay me $250,000 to tweet. Not that anyone yeah. likes my tweets, but that's fine. Or um, anything. Yeah, literally anything at all. I that's mean, like within. All the listeners. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, that's true. Not anything. <laughs> not anything. <laughs> We're just putting that out there. John will not do anything for $250,000. We'll like, we'll say. Most things. Yeah. There's, a, there's like not much I wouldn't do for that. Money. <laughs> I think that, you know, that shows the power that we're putting behind it you know influencers is expected to be i think it's like make five billion dollars in uh businesses are spent planning to spend five billion dollars uh on instagram influencers and twitter and youtube influencers over the next year yeah which is a lot of money and you know we're looking at the idea of celebrities and you know those top tier people that are on those social channels with like a hundred thousand k plus to a million uh, followers, and brands will pay for these. Like with, they'll be like, just take my money, take it. I don't yeah, care how much you want. Like I'll give it to you if you'll talk about us. <laughs> but you know, like a lot of the studies will show that people aren't as likely to buy from people that have that many followers as far as you know micro influencers which is a lot of where the current model is going i think for uh, influencer marketing you know we're going after the people that are mid-tier or lower because i think that for me personally i'd rather buy something from a friend that genuinely supports it and like it's like hey this is great and in order for me to want to buy something from an influencer with a lot of followers i need to be like this person's my friend which is a very interesting barrier to cross i think a lot of people kind of get you know, into this like line where they're like, I'm friends with this person, like, especially on YouTube and especially on Instagram, because you're looking at their life in such a personal way. It's yeah. really hard. It blurs the lines. A lot of people can't tell, especially younger kids. They cannot tell the difference. <laughs> they're like, this is my friend, truly my friend. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that it, like zooming out the way that I kind of look at it is like the credibility aspect of it and then how people are influenced. Um, so like, it's when influencers were just like essentially a brand new thing. Like we're transitioning from brand marketing where we do pay celebrities to be spokespeople for brands. And I think that's like how it originally started out. And we're like, okay, well, we're still looking for spokespeople, but I do think that like people are, so they, they tend to have the largest followings for sure. But I think that um, 
just like how we got sick and tired of certain kinds of advertisements or certain kinds of like email marketing marketers tend to ruin everything. So I think that in a lot of ways we're done with the spokespeople, spokesperson model and, or it's, it's just fading very rapidly right now. Things come back all the time, but like, I think at the moment that's specifically what's been fading and that it has a strong correlation with people who have the largest followings because they've thrived on that until now. Whereas like the, the micro influencers or whatever person, Day, like they tend to have higher credibility because um, they aren't beholden to individual brands um, and to your point as well like I think having when you're starting out you also like feel a little scrappier too um, which I think is ultimately more relatable um, so like I just wanted to like kind of like zoom out because that's that's how I've noticed the trends um, trends over thus like 10 years because, like, Guy Kawasaki's been around for a while. Not that, like, he's any, like, George Clooney, but, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but that's that's where it's, like, if if Michelle Obama wore something during that presidency, it would, like, sell out. It would absolutely sell out wherever it was from. And I think, like, if she still wears something, it'll probably sell out. Um, but it's, I don't think it has quite the clout um, in terms of, like, that kind of spokesperson for specific brands. Yeah, and to be sure. fair, like they're not like necessarily spokespeople for brands, but it really, really comes off that way with some of them. Oh yeah, and and obviously, like with the rise of influencer marketing, we've also seen the rise of the legality behind it, and people yeah. having to disclose with you know the FTC being like, you have to put a hashtag ad. It needs to be the first like three lines or the first three words of your thing, and you need to clearly disclose <laughs> you're getting paid for something. Yeah. And I think a lot of people still aren't doing that, which is always amazing to me because I'm like, you could get so sued, so sued and they'll take down your account. <laughs> well, it's like, who should be accountable for that as well? Because like if a br the brand should know too, because they absorb a lot of that risk. I can't remember which fashion brand, but I think it was like one of the first cases and they had like six influencers in a campaign. None of them disclosed it. And um, that brand actually had a class action lawsuit against them. Yeah, that's not a joke. They do not play. <laughs> So it's like, I mean, that, that's also something that's like before it even goes out, the influencers should be passing copy by the brand for approval and edits. And then that should be flagged at that moment of time. But I mean, since that use case is a little, a little bit ago, I mean, things are a lot more formal and processed now, but yeah. um, I would be, I, I would not be surprised at all if that wasn't like part of the playbook or the checklist for a brand because to your point it's like I still see that stuff everywhere and I'm like this is a big brand that should know better yeah so there, for sure. there, there's no oversight or like the person managing it is not the right person to manage it yeah and like honestly like I've worked on the agency side of it before and occasionally we've had the issue of a person that we worked with that was an influencer uh, no matter how many times we told them to disclose, they had to disclose. They've refused to disclose. We were like, you need to yeah, do this. We had to end up threatening to uh, pull our contract with that person just because of the fact that they were not paying attention or listening. And then finally they got it. Uh, and they were creating great content for us. And it was super authentic feeling. And, you know, the, the fans loved it. But we were like, we can't take that risk and put our client at, at risk like that. Because at the end of the day, the FTC is going to come after us and them they typically don't go after influencers. That's what I've found. They, they go for more so, they use the influencer to get to the brand. Yeah, the brand's the one who can pay out the money. Yeah, and obviously- That's, that's my really pessimistic view. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're so positive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I, I think that that's just like all part of how Instagram specifically with uh, influencer culture has kind of shaped the way that people are behaving on and off that channel. Like it's 
changing the way that people do deals and how they get to their bottom lines. And, you know, it's crazy the world that we live in. Well, I think I just posted on LinkedIn. It's like a, it's, it's a screenshot of like a MarTech article and it was um, where brands are spending influencer money in Q1 2019. And it was like 62% was on Instagram. I could pull that up to get the exact percentage, but it was like vast majority. What yeah. I found really interesting is that Twitter had 1% of it. And I was, well, I mean, it's like where we spend a lot of money on influencers. Um, so it like really is like here now, but it made me like, and I have not validated any of these ideas, but I mean, it's it if you think about the way that like people want to be influenced and we like take a moment to like pause and meditate on that um like i'm starting to like buy in i was like okay it makes sense it's like especially if this is like a fashion brand or certain kinds of e-commerce it absolutely makes sense for for me to see it on someone or for me to see like how someone interacts with it and therefore like it kind of goes from that like the YouTube channels that do super duper well and then translating it to short form content on uh, or static content on Instagram. For sure. For sure. I think that those are great and excellent use cases for it. Like that is exactly what's the brands that are doing really well with influencer marketing are on Instagram are typically the fashion brands. They're, you know, yeah. the fab fit fun partners. They're uh, the sugar bear hair thing, which is dumb, but that. <laughs> well, totally. It's I mean, it's they like sell so much. Makeup brands do really well. And like, it's even spun off into what is essentially just QVC, by the way, that um, I think it's the new Hulu show or Netflix show. And it's like four people just talking about skincare. Um, and I mean, one of all, it actually looks really charming, but I'm like, this is really just QVC. Yeah. Um, we found like the millennial version of QVC and everyone is just fine with it because it's entertaining. And these people are skincare, um, influencers. Yeah. And I, I think obviously there's some clout there. Like people there and people in our generation aren't going to watch QVC anymore. And so obviously like they're going to see that and they're going to have to adapt. Like a lot of companies are going to have to adapt their marketing strategies for people that, like are I like I think oftentimes one of the mistakes that big companies make that have been around a while is not adapting fast enough to change and not realizing that they're going to die out if they don't do something crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a chief creative officer or the former chief creative officer of WPP used to say something along the lines that like every business um, goes through this like cyclical journey where it's like scrappy, innovative, dominant, arrogant. And then you repeat, and it's like what makes space for new, like for new competitors and so forth in the market. Um, but like, I see that like here, and like I think that um, however many years ago, maybe just a few years ago, when like it really turned, a lot of the organizations that were dominant and were like, you know what, we'll just continue spending on programmatic because it's been doing really well, and then ignored the influencers, lost parts of market share, especially when it was like really, really affordable to go work with an influencer and get that additional credibility in addition to like how you're trying to build your brand equity. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, companies are starting to realize now that they might have, you know, missed the boat on that. Uh, it's obviously never too late to join it. <laughs> there, yeah. There's always opportunities to get in at any point in time. But the one thing that I love when brands can find those authentic relationships, that makes sense. So that way it doesn't, it obviously is an ad, uh, but it doesn't feel like it. Like I yeah. think that there's a lot of opportunity there that people really don't put enough effort in as a brand to find that right partner for them. Um, so any brands listening, definitely take advantage. <laughs> Free advice. 
No, absolutely. And it boils down. I mean, again, I think it boils down to, and I'm going to say authenticity because you just said it as well, but like the credibility aspect of it, whatever form of marketing that actually takes a partner event, a panel, like someone wearing your brand, whatever it is. Like, I think that has always been the gold standard or not always, but it, for influencers that has been the gold standard and why brands are willing to spend more money um, for influencer marketing. However, the face of it and who we follow, the size of their following is what's changing over time. And if it's like, oh, we're in the influencer game now and you're still not being scrappy or innovative with it, I think you're going to fall off soon. It's like one of the things that is still rapidly changing. Um, and even though it's like most, most organizations are spending on it, it's just like by the time they get on board, it's like they need to rethink it. <laughs> and if they're not, then it is pumping out the same kind of crap. Yeah, basically that. And that is one of the things that people should be aware of. And, you know, looking at ads from brands online, like there is a clear feeling amongst people. If you look at different ads that people have done where they're like, why did you do this? Like never going to buy it or like hashtag fake or yeah, uh, it's just, you know, and it also can, when you partner with an influencer, you're linking that person to your brand. And so it's yes. so important to make sure you, if you're, you're not going to just marry a random stranger off the street. So you should definitely date your influencer, not like date them. Like don't like date, date them, but like, you know, get to know them, do some courting. Uh, what are they really going to offer your brand? Who really are they? Because they're giving this image online. And obviously we've seen time and time again that Jared. people get burned. People get burned. Yeah. Influencers are just people. They have their own opinions. And sometimes like, even though they promote this very different uh, aesthetic than who they really are on the inside, uh, things that they've done in the past will come back up. Social does not let anything die. Well, it reminds me of like vetting a political candidate. Um, and, and to your point, it's like they, this person is being a natural extension of your brand and spokesperson, whatever it is. So um, what are the skeletons in their closet? I mean, for like a political campaign, you hire like a private investigator, you look through everything. Maybe, maybe you don't need to do, do anything that deep, depending on what brand you are and how big this person is actually like um, out in front for you. But like that Jared thing, crazy for someone <laughs> that was not great not great at all <laughs> so but and that's something that's like they probably could have figured that out but i mean that was like really really early on in the game um so i mean actually this might be for anyone listening this might be a good company to do it's like researcher vetting and influence or and yeah. vetting and yeah and it's like maybe it's like you're the organization and like you do background checks like with the agencies and stuff yeah and honestly it's it's necessary yeah. People, people should be doing that just because like, even if you look at, so the most recent example at the time when we're filming this episode uh, in June of 2019 is if we look at fair, uh, fair life, the milk company, they okay. are canceled. And like, obviously cancel culture is another thing that it's like probably a whole nother episode, but they, episode. yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. Um, but like there is a video going around the internet right now of one of their dairy farms where they're abusing their cows, like the baby cows. Okay, not uh, atrocious, atrocious, like kicking them, yeah, kicking them in the head, uh, dragging them by their legs, they're crying and screaming, killing them, just like leaving their bodies around. Uh, someone got a hold of that, leaked it on the internet. People are, are calling for them to just end their company altogether. And obviously, any influencers that are related to that company are now getting so much hate and have lost thousands of followers on oh, their man, social media. 
that influenced me. Like I thought milk was safe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so obviously like as much as it goes for the company to really vet the person, it goes for the person, like the influencers to really vet the companies that they're working with, because at the end yeah. of the day, their fans are going to expect them to have done their research. They're going to well, be yeah. like, why did you support this? <laughs> so my friends who are influencers, they, that's an interesting thought because they do vetting, but it's more so like, um, they try to gauge whether or not um, their followers would find it inauthentic. And if they do, they say no. Which is good. Uh, yes. I mean, total baseline, let alone like, does this, what, like, are they, like, do you think the CEO has been, like, is going to be part of the Me Too movement in the bad way? <laughs> or like, you yeah. know? And it's important because like, even, I hate to like throw it to a show, but like, if you, if anyone's ever watched Bold Type on uh, Freeform. So it's about three girls who work at Scarlet Magazine, which is basically kind of supposed to be like Scarlet Mag or L Magazine Vogue kind of thing. Uh, 17-ish, like it's all, whichever one you want to take your pick. It's kind of like modeled off that. Uh, and so one of the characters, her name is Kat Edison. She is a uh, uh, gay social media manager. She's like 25. She's the youngest they've ever had. And she's uh, half black, half white. And so it kind of follows her around as in her role. And so she gets an offer. The company wants her to do a ad for a like skin or lip gloss company. I forget exactly what it was, but she did her research and <laughs> found out that they had a person on their board that spoke out and gave money to an uh, anti-LGBTQ plus group. Okay. And so she was like, I cannot okay. promote this. <laughs> and like, it kind of followed that, uh, what would happen in that case, because obviously one, she's a person, but her voice was kind of the voice of the, of the brand on social since she was like such a big part of it. And so obviously this is who she is. It's part of her identity, but also part of, of Scarlett's identity where they were obviously putting out pro LGBTQ plus uh, articles and like stuff like that. So it kind of showed the idea of like a company taking responsibility and not letting or, or helping companies that put others down. So like, you know, it, there's like so much to this where people have to be really careful. Uh, and you know, you never know what's going to happen or what skeletons are hiding in people's closets, but definitely make sure you're looking. And like, obviously people in the generation, uh, Gen Z, basically they're so into the whole, what do you stand for movement? Yes. And I think, so actually was just talking to someone else today um, about, they were like, what, what helps a brand win in 2019? And I was like, I mean, depending on who you're targeting, but overall it's like transparency um, because we're being held more accountable for like what we say is actually what we do. That like magazine example could be a pretty good point too. You can't be pro, you can't say you're pro something and then do actions that are like very against it and con. So I don't know. It's, it's super interesting to think about it that way. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it too much like that. Yeah, sorry to give you some, some thinking points uh, on the call. <laughs> you know, it, it's something that's very top of mind for me at my current company just because we have a, like, when Women's Impact Network, that initiative is based on uh, equal, uh, equality and equity for all people uh, in the tech space. Cool. So we do a lot of webinars and events and stuff like surrounding it, and we get so much hate which is amazing to me because our community is about inclusion and people, we always get, why are you doing this? This oh, yeah. is not an issue. And I'm like, you, the people that are saying this is not an issue are always the uh, older white 
typically male, sometimes female. Fragile. Yeah. Masculinity or whatever else. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's so interesting to take a a stand and like, obviously like as a brand, we've worked with a lot of companies and not everybody is going to have the same viewpoint or agree with this viewpoint that we're moving forward with as a company. But I think there also needs to be room there for forgiveness and like understanding that people can change. Like a lot of people, a lot of things that get brought up are from like 10 years. Yeah, I know. I know. Or 10 (laughs) years in the past. um, And I'll bring up girl with no job who is very prominent in New York. She has like, I feel like probably almost close to a million, if not a million followers on Instagram, has her own podcast, like merch, everything. So mm-hmm. she, her name is Claudia in real life. So many, many years ago, she made some, uh, ru- uh, you know, kind of racist comments about a particular marginalized group of people. Okay, and not great. On Twitter. Yeah, not great. Not great. She was like 16 at the time. <laughs> or whatever, however old she was. She was very young. Uh, She put them on Twitter. She had since realized and deleted them, uh, but someone found them and brought them back up when she was like really popular. And it kind of ruined her brand for a bit. It was almost like, like she almost just lost everything. And so obviously like she had to do some public saving of face and she kind of went online and was very transparent and was like, I said those things, they were wrong. And I've changed since then. My viewpoint is not that anymore. Yeah. And so like, you know, it, it's like kind of going back to cancel culture. We, we tend to just not give people a chance to kind of be like, hey, I did that. If, if it happened like 10 plus years ago, be like, hey, I did this, but it was wrong. I know that. And this is the ways that I'm making it up to that community. Then I think that those people deserve another shot. For us, like we've worked with certain people that, you know, have made anti LGBTQ plus comments before. Uh, and they just, it's kind of a worldview working with global clients. Not everybody understands. And at different points in time, it wasn't, I'm going to say kosher, but like it wasn't kosher to kind of say certain things. So, you know, <laughs> looking at that and then also understanding as a company that people forget, uh, deserve forgiveness and deserve a second chance as long as they're actively doing something to try and better themselves. I mean, totally. And it really depends on the audience and the situation and the severity of yeah. like the slip up as well. But I, I mean, I do, it's like people, like people will still say that it's like, um, if Bill Clinton had just apologized, then he wouldn't have been impeached. I mean, like, I was like, not even like able to vote at that time. Um, <laughs> and, but, and then, but I think that's like, again, like authenticity, the credibility and the transparency, like we're being held even more accountable nowadays than we were before because the information to hold us accountable is publicly available in a way that it wasn't before. So like influencers also, like it's so easy to just go search through someone's like comment history or their post history and everything that um, it should be due diligence for anyone who's trying to be an influencer. I mean, I did that for myself because I joined Facebook when I was in high school and I was like, quite frankly, just a like stupid, immature teenager. Yeah. And it, and it, there's like, and I, I grew up, I, I grew up in like a fairly affluent suburb of Chicago too. So it's like, it's like a lot of the tropes is like, oh, so we have this affluent male growing like teenager. Um, and there's just like all these like environmental things that influenced the way I spoke, the way I acted that like, I absolutely don't do now. And like, I don't remember how I like, it wasn't even related to being an influencer. I think like one of them had surfed. It was like 10 years ago, you did this. And I was like 10 years. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, those, those memories on Facebook are not great. Please stop. Yeah, giving I us like, I really. Uh, so I, I want, I started going back through and I was like, 
I can't, like, I can believe I said those because of the situation. So, I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, is like, I, I don't feel the need necessarily to go like hide who I was, but I also don't feel like I want to, to ex like continue being ashamed of who I was. So I think that it should be something where since you're building your own brand, everything is searchable and everything out there should fit that personality. So yeah. there's also content that's like, I've really liked and things that like really are totally PC and everything that um, don't support the kind of brand that I've been trying to build. And therefore I've kind of, I've eliminated it. Yeah. And that's totally fine. It's due diligence to kind of go yeah. through and, and edit your persona because it's your public persona and people can find that. Uh, I, I did that <laughs> yeah. when I was in high school for some reason. I, I don't know why I thought this way, but in high school, I was like, I feel like people are going to use this against me one day. And so I didn't post a lot. And like, I was very conscious of what I did or didn't do on my, on my social yeah. accounts. And I had two, I had two Facebooks when I was, when it first came out, one with like my real name for like real people. And then my fake oh, one. And I was like, wow, I had a Finsta before a Finsta was a thing. Which is hilarious. Isn't that why people use like VSCO in addition to like Instagram yeah. or whatever? Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> I think that, you know, because everyone now is an influencer in some way, capacity, everyone has a thing that they're passionate about that they can speak to that people look to for that opinion. And, and, you know, when we do that, there's kind of this negative correlation with the way that we've put influencer culture on a pedestal, for lack of a better word. And it's pretty harmful for society. Like we are harming our own ideology of what our lives are supposed to be like based on this fake thing that we're all curating like even for our friends nothing you see on social on instagram specifically is going to be real life twitter typically is like a little bit more true to like kind of what's going on but specifically on instagram it's all about that picture perfect life and not everybody's living that and when you see all you see every day is just picture after picture of a beautiful life and you're not feeling that beautiful right then it's it can be very harmful to you. What about, how do you feel about that? Well, it totally can be, but there's also people who are influential, who um, like they're influential because they're super real about it. So, I mean, it like it again, and like maybe this goes back to like that kind of like bubble feed where it's um, how, because first of all, mental, maintaining positive mental health requires practice and it requires effort. It's not something you just like necessarily fall into. And one very easy piece of effort that you can put into it is surrounding yourself digitally with healthy people. So if you do find inspiration mainly from people who are like um, living picture perfect lives, um, but you also need to commiserate with people, there are people in influential who can do that kind of content as well. Like I follow this like cartoon artist who like, I mean, they're like really self-deprecating cartoons, <laughs> um, but I relate to them so much. And a lot of them are being like about being single in New York City. Um, so, and there's like stuff like that where like I really appreciate it. Um, and then like Mark Duplass, Lynn Manuel Miranda, they do like daily posts about like, oh, you know, like I hope that, uh, I hope that you have a good day today. And like they like go into about like the realities of things that can be hard today. And those, those are really popular. And not that being popular is the ultimate goal, but um, I think it's like they're highly relatable. And I've, one, I really like those personally, and I've tried to like find more um, of those like accounts. So like, I forgot exactly what it is, but like Mr. Rogers Says, Mr. Rogers Says is a great one as well. And it's like a nice little pick me up whenever I see it. But I do want to also address, it's like, 
I, I feel like someone really ought to make it, and maybe we can do this, but like a glossary of influencer terms. Because there's influencer, influencer culture, influential, uh, and then there's like, could be even lowercase influencer. Because like uppercase influencer, I think, is a thing. And I don't think everyone is an uppercase influencer. And the reason is because I'm defining that as a um, addressable marketing channel. Like I see influencers as cohorts of marketing channels that I can distribute through. Like their agents or themselves are like ad sales. I negotiate the prices, we go out and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, honestly, the process and the, the contracts are different, but the process is not too dissimilar from when I used to go buy ad, like ad space on a publication. Um, so with that, I, I do want to separate that one out because I think everyone is influential and I think everyone is the lowercase influencer if they choose to be. Um, and like, if I decide, like, I don't have any followers, period. Like I curate a personality to get speaking engagements and to get jobs. Like it's not, it's definitely not meant for like mass curation and stuff. So by the way, I'm not like <laughs> draw that line too, but it's like stuff like that where, um, so it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, well that's why I'm curating it this way. And um, if I post about like, I don't know, name any brand. Um, there are some people who will be like, oh, I don't like that brand anymore because I don't like this person. Or I, I'm seeing, like I'm starting to get a little more like influenced by it. Um, so I, can, I don't have like the kind of following or influence to sell it. And therefore I don't consider myself an uppercase I influencer. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think that's such a good distinction to make for people. Obviously, like we're in the era where everyone puts hashtag Instagram model in their bios. And you're, yeah. you're you're not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like maybe some people are, but for the most part, they're not. And you know, there's a lot of filler content out there where we give people a voice. Everyone has a voice, and that's what social media is about: is about sharing that voice, that unique voice and point of view that you have. But sometimes, you know, we kind of get too crowded in it. Uh, and it's super important for us to be able to take a step back and, and kind of just, you know, know the difference between someone that's trying to sell something and then someone that's just sharing an opinion as well. Uh, yeah. A huge... I, do think, I, I do think that there is such a thing as an unhealthy feed. And that's something that, like, I don't even think, like, there should be, a, like, a term coined around it. And there should be, like, more content or awareness brought to, like, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I would feel really good if for one day there's a trending hashtag where everyone assessed um, whether or not their feed was healthy for their lifestyle. You know what? And it's, and it's like, it's one of the things where it's like, because like to your point earlier, earlier, it's like, um, this stuff is changing and moving so quickly. It's like, um, and when you're talking about like why it's not regulated and like, well, why we understand why it's not regulated because it's moving so fast and changing. It's like, this is the kind of stuff where it's like, I've thrown myself into social and am now just kind of like breathing again and be like, Oh, so how does this affect my life? And I like, I'm really hoping more and more people do that initial audit and it might be a one-time audit, but it's something that is like uh, curating or not curating, but like managing positive mental health was so much easier um, before like social came out and now it absolutely can be a positive coping mechanism, but only after you've done the audit and figured out like how it actually affects you. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that this is a great uh, 
point and obviously like I want to call out the fact that I don't know if this will be an episode that goes before or after but we just wrapped up and recorded an episode with Jessica who is a therapist who talked more about it um, from like the professional standpoint and how she's seeing it affect a lot of uh, the younger generation she's an eating disorder specialist specialist when when it comes to therapy so that episode will be super great so if you want to hear more about that aspect of it either you know check it out it'll be up in some of the queue i don't know exactly which episode it will be at this point in time but i will update this to to reflect that um that's interesting because that addresses the other side as well the mental health of the people posting too yeah For sure. For sure. And I I think that, you know, we have to, one of the main goals for this podcast is to kind of just take a step back and look at it from another point of view and seeing how it is affecting us. Because I think that, as we said, like social media has changed the whole world over the past 10 years. And obviously with the past election and everything that's going on with that, like we saw the power of it for the first time. Like it does have power. It can change the world and not always for the better. So, you know, being able to do episodes like this where we're taking a dive into seeing exactly what we are doing and use how people are using this channel. So that way we can better assess how we can go about and actively be on social. Because I think that without knowing what's happening behind the scenes, you can't say like, you know, save yourself for lack of a better word from the negative effects. Well, it's like so much of it is awareness and like it's like one of the reasons one of the reasons people go to a therapist is um, to be guided to a greater understanding and awareness of how you act and your behaviors and all that kind of stuff and this is something where it's like absolutely a blind spot for me um, and this, and I'm trying I'm actively trying to like clear it up more and more about how it affects me um, because I mean, I get all the little dopamine drops. It's like, ooh, someone liked this thing, but like, what does that really mean right now? Yeah, I know. And putting your putting your worth behind that, it can be yeah. hard. Or like your pet's worth. Uh, I yeah, often exactly. <laughs> will do that. Like having uh, Shadow's account has like a good amount of followers on it for a rabbit account, and like you know, <laughs> being able to know for a rabbit account for a rabbit account. Yes. Yeah. Have to make that distinction. Yeah. Uh, she's very cute though. Follow her yeah. uh, at nomadic underscore rabbit. I plug her every episode. But like you know, uh, kind of. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this handle's open. It's mine. I'm taking it. I just buy up handles occasionally, uh, to, you know, <laughs> and then I make people buy them back from me if they want them. Great business model, by the way, in case yeah, anybody's out there, out there needs it. Oh, uh, my God. Like domains. Yeah. I was just trying to buy a domain, and I got quoted $800,000. I was yeah. like, okay, never mind. It's great. It's a great way to buy things because you can, like, you know, buy up domains that you think are popular and then, or account names that you think would be popular, and then people will eventually try to buy them from you. Yeah. Great. Or, or curse you out for taking their domain name or, or yep. their uh, username. That happened. Well, I don't know if you saw this, but so since Slack just IPO'd, um, they had a post about the guy who has at Slack and they invited him to um, like celebrate with them. Really? That's hilarious. <laughs> so he's like, he's in all the pictures. He was like there at the like NASDAQ like opening bell. Um, it was absolutely I love that. Check it out. I love that. So uh, just to kind of wrap up this episode on uh, influence (laughs) versus influencers, you know, do you have, if you could make one thing to make the world a better place in that realm of marketing, what would you do? No, I'm, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that, I mean, the issue with this question right now is I'm thinking of like a bunch of medium sized things that I want to do, but it's like, it's like going back to like the transparency thing. There are platforms that make it a little more transparent for how people are, 
okay, okay, I got two answers in. <laughs> business side, a better platforms about um, how influential people are. So there is one that I really like, um, and there are multiple that I like, but there's one that's like not, not even part of an agency or anything, but the former founder of SEO Moz, Rand Fishkin, has, um, he created this like free tool that's called, um, I guess what it's called, it's, it's this free tool that's called SparkToro. Mm. And um, you can input anyone's handle and it gives you, it tells you how many fake followers they have and they're like how influential they are and stuff like that. It's really great. So he has like multiple free tools there. One, um, I think two of them about, are about like influencers. Um, and he talks about the stuff all the time too. Um, one point A, by the way, his wife Geraldine um, is phenomenal on Twitter. Um, she just has, she's been going through weeks of something. So she tweeted, she has a viral tweet recently about how, <laughs> what if, uh, what if the Joker was really just a woman who has been told to smile so much that she now terrorizes Gotham? <laughs> and she's and now she tells everyone else to smile. Um, and you should read these, this thread. It's been going on for weeks, and it's uh, it's so many guys who are like, "Oh, this is so dumb." You're like, "You're," and it's like being like crazy sexist against her. And her yeah. response is hilarious. So anyway, oh, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> but the other thing that um, I want to do is um, kind of like how you can use like Yoast as an SEO plugin and it tells you like how you should better use your keywords, where you should put them and stuff is like um, just like a Chrome plugin that um, before you post to social. Uh, so two things. It, it, before you post to social, it gives you like a mental health rating. And it's like, should you really post this? <laughs> and then <laughs> on the other end um, for your feed, um, like you based on based on your health, um, it layers on top of the social algorithms and, um, and it deprioritizes anything that would be bad for your mental health. Oh, that's a great idea, honestly. Please, Instagram, Facebook, take this idea. Yeah, someone go do that. Make this a thing. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that those are both excellent ideas. I think it's super important for us to kind of you know own that and make sure that we are doing a better job of, as marketers and just humans in general, of making sure that the internet's a safe place for people. And obviously it can't always be safe, but as safe as possible. Yes. And, you know, th those steps are, are really just like up to big companies like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn to take those precautions and really start thinking about their users more than just a dollar sign or like a MAU number. Like think about the people that are on, the, on those channels. Is your service like that you're providing really helping them? Uh, can you do better? How can you do better? And, and then do better because <laughs> a lot of people will a lot of companies will just like source ideas but then they won't ever actually do any change so you know we i implore companies to, to make a change for the better uh and then obviously also take into effect all the all the wonderful tips and tricks we've shared in this episode yeah so, it's been perfect. thanks for having me yeah it's been great having you john uh i look Time forward for one thing yeah if you're interested, and I think you participated in this too, if anyone's interested, oh my God. <laughs> uh, retake from here, pick me up. <laughs> you got it, I'll, I'll cut everything else before. We will start clear, one, no. two, three. One, two, three, pick me up, I'm fine. Um, if anyone's, anyone is interested, um, I do offer virtual online office hours uh, for $5 to the charity of my choice. You can find it on my website. And we will also link that in the description of this episode as well. Okay, um, 
thank you again so much. And obviously I did take <laughs> your office hours into effect and they were great and they greatly helped me out. So anyone that's looking or needs any advice on anything, you know, e-marketing related, definitely take advantage of it. He has some great charities in there that he donates the money to. Totally worth it. Uh, great person to talk to. It's been, it's been real. And that's a wrap on episode two of It's a Social Thing with me, your host, Venus Ranieri. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode on influence versus influencers. And big heartfelt thank you to John Chang for being a guest on the episode for the pod. It was recorded a few months back, and since then, John has made some really exciting moves professionally. He is now the head of consumer growth at for the U.S. at Klarna. If you want to stay connected with John, we've linked all of his accessible social media uh, links below, and also anything that we mentioned, including his website, in the episode description, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your day, night, whenever and wherever you're listening to this. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please tell a friend, a family, a complete absolute stranger on the street that you've never met before. So with that, we'll wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much for giving me an hour out of your day to be a part of your life. I hope that you all learned something out of this episode or maybe gave you an insight that you didn't have before into the world of influencer marketing. And I will see you all next Tuesday. For our next episode, we'll be diving into the impact that social media plays on mental health. Specifically, we'll be touching on eating disorders. 